I'm Daniel Vitalis of DanielVitalis.com, and you are listening to the Rewild Yourself podcast, a show dedicated to transcending human domestication, activating our invincible genetic health, and uncovering our true potential. In each episode, we explore the many aspects of the rewilding lifestyle for better health, fitness, and a more rich and fulfilling life. Rewild yourself. Engage your biology. Rewild Yourself is brought to you by SirThrival.com. Jumpstart your evolution at SirThrival. Traditional medicines engineered as modern-day life hacks to support immunity, regulate hormones, boost libido, and enhance your peak physical performance. All traits of our wild ancestors. Recover, reformat, rebuild, rewild at SirThrival.com. Welcome back, everyone. I've been reading an advertisement for my upcoming elementary school program at the Omega Wellness Institute, October 11th through the 16th, coming right up now, less than a month. Um, I'm not going to read that ad today. I'm going to say to all of you who have signed up, I'm getting so excited for this event. And you're going to hear more about it kind of throughout this podcast today, uh, which is a bit of a departure from the shows that I usually do. Uh, in that uh, I have a friend on today, and he and I are going to really be delving into the way that we both approach this lifestyle, but from really different perspectives and really different environments. So I'll get more into that in just a second. Uh, But that guest, Luke Story, is going to be joining me um, at the Omega Wellness Institute next month, and if you're coming, you're going to get to hang with him as well, and uh, this is going to be a really robust and fun event, so if you're interested in learning more about that, go over to danielvitalis.com, click on About, uh, and then Coming Events, and you'll see the uh, information there. Well, before I get into today's show, I do want to say, uh, well, first I want to say a big thanks to Edward Carome, who came on the show a few weeks back to talk about blue light and its effects on our health. Since that call, I have received a sort of gift pack from uh, Dr. Carome, as well as something I bought from him as well, which was the iPhone 6 Plus Amber uh, Shield or filter that goes over the screen. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, if you've been If you've listened to him on this show or any other shows, if you've been going to lowbluelights.com and checking out the products there, if you heard that show and you've been thinking about incorporating some of this stuff into your life, I just want to share a little bit about my experiences so far. Uh, Quick recap on that, if it's new information for you. The basic idea is that the sun puts out light uh, from morning until early afternoon, more in the blue end of the spectrum, and uh, in the evening, uh, more in the amber uh, part of the spectrum. And of course, throughout time, people have used things like candles or firelight, and that's also amber colored. And so our circadian rhythm is essentially set up that in such a way that blue light promotes wakefulness and amber light promotes sleep and melatonin production. And in order to sort of safeguard and preserve that, uh, we need to be careful about exposure to blue lights in the evening, and they tend to come out of our machines in particular. So I have been experimenting with this iPhone 6 Plus Shield, and i got to say it's a really cool product. Now, what it is, it's a filter. Um, Think filter like I'm talking about like you'd have on a camera, so like a lens filter. It's a screen filter that changes the color that you see coming through the screen. So it's like putting amber sunglasses over your iPhone. 
It's removable, however, so it's kind of a floppy polymer, and what it allows you to do is sort of slap that over your screen in the evenings and then peel that off um, when you want to in the morning. So I've been using that for a few nights now, and so far I'm really liking it. I do not know how durable it's going to be. I do not know how long it's going to last. One thing I can say is you want to be careful not to scratch it, and you want to be careful not to stretch it. Um, or deform it in some way, otherwise it's not going to uh, mate to the screen very well. But so far it's gone great, and it does come with a little protective sheath for it that you can slip it into when you're not using it. So far I'm really liking that. Uh, Dr. Chrome also sent me some of his amber glasses. Now up until now I've been using uh, Oakley's persimmon glasses. So these are the specific ones designed for this purpose, um, and so I'm going to be testing those. I'll let you know what I think of them. And uh, he also sent me one of his flashlights. Now if you followed my work for any length of time, you might know I'm really into this idea of EDC, or everyday carry, the stuff that we carry in our pockets, on our belts, in our purses, in our wallets, in our backpacks. Like, what gear do we have every day with us all the time? This is a really ancient thing, right? Human beings have been tool users since the beginning, and so we have a tendency to carry with us certain tools. And I'm always interested in what tools somebody finds that they need in their lifestyle and what they carry. Now, one thing I always carry is a flashlight and a really powerful one. So I tend to carry flashlights that reach up into the 500 to 900 lumens. Uh, that's a really bright, that's a blinding bright light. Um, that's really a weapon light. So I hadn't really thought about that every time I flash that light at night, I'm shutting off my pineal gland. Uh, if you listen to the call of Dr. Carone, you'll hear that even one second of a bright light like that can stop our melatonin production. So it takes about three hours to get back up to production levels. So he sent over a little amber flashlight. I'm going to experiment with that as well, and I'll let you know what I think of it. On this topic of you know, how we apply these lifestyle ideas, I want to introduce Luke's story, our guest for today. Luke is uh, up and coming in the health world right now, uh, very experienced in the world that he comes out of, which he'll share more about on the call. Uh, but he's also a really good friend of mine. And I thought it would be fun to have somebody on the show who I know and have that kind of rapport with, and we can just jam a little bit about how we're living this lifestyle. I think sometimes there's a tendency when I'm talking to these experts, especially when I'm talking to, um, I guess, academics, there's a tendency for uh, an almost a kind of untouchability to the character that we hear from. Now, I know when I go on other shows, this happens to me because I'm sharing to a new community. They don't know me. I don't fully open up and share all the sort of intimacy of my life. And on this podcast, I don't often get a chance to really share personally because I'm interviewing. Um, I thought it would be fun to talk to Luke in such a way that we could just be really open about how we're living the lifestyle. Now, Luke's living in Los Angeles, in Hollywood. I'm living in Maine, very rural. We are approaching a similar lifestyle, but we're having to do it in really different ways. When he and I jumped on this call, wow, I was surprised at how much there was to say. And so this is going to be broken up into two parts. So this week we'll give you part one, and next week we'll give you part two, the rest of the conversation. I think you're going to find this really valuable. Uh, we explore and we break it down based on earth, water, air, and fire. So the question is, how are you dealing with earth in your life? In other words, how are you dealing with the food that you bring into your life? Water. How are you dealing with the water that you're drinking? 
air? How are you dealing with the atmosphere in your home and fire? How are you ensuring that you get the light and energy needs that you need? We're discussing that for a couple reasons. One, I think that's the foundation for any quality lifestyle. Right now, there's this whole idea of life hacking, which I think is really cool, but I think there's a limitation. That limitation is if you don't have a good foundation, then all these hacks, they kind of, they can't yield very uh, substantial results until we get the foundational stuff right. So right now, of course, the internet and the world is just, now we are just immersed in this idea of best practices, immersed in this idea of hacking, and yet often people don't have a good foundational lifestyle strategy. So that's what we're talking about in this conversation, and that's really a lead-in as well to the upcoming Omega event if you are able to attend that event, that's where we're really going to hammer this stuff out. We're going to really delve into our personal lifestyles and see where we can tune up and, uh, and I guess, adapt all of these practices to our personal lives to make sure that we've really got a good firm strategy in place. Uh, so Luke and I are going to go over those things. We're also going to go over movement, we're going to go over sleep, and we're going to go over meditation. Those seven things, earth, water, air, fire, movement, sleep, and meditation, to me are the foundations of a good lifestyle strategy. And let's face it, we all know what's optimal, but most of us are never going to get to apply all of it all the time. If we were, we would probably be, literally, hunter-gatherers living outside. You know, if we wanted the best food in the world... Let's face it, that's going to be wild foods. There really aren't cultivated foods that can outperform wild foods. Nutrition density, functionality, um, all of those kind of things. If we were going to drink the optimal water all the time, well, that would have to be water from spring sources all the time, fresh from the source. Now, a lot of us get great spring water, but it's not always fresh by the time we drink it. If we were going to have optimal air all the time, we'd have to live outside, right? We'd have to live up in the mountains, maybe, or uh, by the ocean, and we'd have to be outside, all the time. And again, if we wanted optimal sunlight exposure, we'd have to be naked outdoors all the time. So let's face it, none of us get that lifestyle. And I kind of like that. I like that this is not, it's not really possible to take it all the way. I think that's nice because it, it keeps us from having a hierarchical attitude about where we're at. We're all working on the same kind of thing. We're all pointed in the same direction and we all are kind of just at different places in that. And where we live determines in large part how we get to live this lifestyle. So you'll get to hear from somebody in the city and somebody in the country. And I have a feeling wherever you're at, you're going to have your own ways of adapting this lifestyle too. So I think it makes for a really great conversation. Um, without any further ado, I'm really excited to introduce uh, my good friend and colleague, Luke Story. Luke Story, former Hollywood celebrity stylist, has spent the past 18 years developing and refining a robust way of life based on the principles of nature, spirituality, while embracing technology and modern convenience. Using himself as a human research lab, Luke has explored a broad and sometimes extreme variety of measures to obtain optimal health, performance, and well-being. Luke is a lifestylist, a public speaker, an entrepreneur who continues to share his strategies for health and happiness through his private and corporate coaching services. Since 2008, Luke has also served as the founder and CEO at School of Style, the nation's most prominent fashion school for stylists. He and his work can be found online at lukestory.com, on Twitter at lukestorystyle, and on Instagram at lukestory. Luke, welcome to the show, man. Daniel, thank you. It's good to be here, man. Yeah, so wow, we've been friends for quite a long time now, huh? We must go back 
Jeez, how long you think now? Seven, eight years, maybe? I think it's about that, yeah, because before the call, I was thinking about the first time I met you, which I believe was at Erwan, the health food store in Hollywood, which is now essentially a nightclub. But um, <laughs> I met you, I think you were doing a talk there, and it's cool. And, you know, and I wanted to thank you, too, because you did something really neat. I, you know, to me, you were like this expert, and I was coming to hear you talk, and then I emailed you because I had just bought a Kangen water machine for you know, $5,000 or something. <laughs> okay. Between this MLM. And I was like, dude, is alkaline water cool? And I was so touched at the time because you took the time to send me an email and you very diplomatically were like, well, there's other strategies, but hey, it's better than tap water. <laughs> so fun. it must have been about that long ago, yeah. Yeah, and then we sort of reconnected at the Bulletproof conference last year. You sort of strolled up to me all smooth and stylishly and just started talking casually and I was like, oh wow, I haven't seen you in a while. So yeah. anyway, we've been we've been reconnecting. We just did that event um, and got to speak at the same event together, which was really cool for Neil Strauss's group in LA. And if you're listening and you're not familiar with Neil Strauss, definitely worth checking his books out. They're amazing. Uh, but since then, we've been really kicking it. So it's, um, it's exciting to have you on and I'm looking forward to the conversation today. For sure, me too. So you are going to be joining me in October up at the Omega Wellness Institute. And I've been talking, uh, doing a, an ad sort of for that event, the beginning of every one of these shows. So no doubt if you're listening, you've heard about it. And Luke and I thought today we'd start off kind of rapping a little bit about how we strategize around the things that we're going to be talking about at Omega. And that's food, water, air sun and energy, EMFs, sleep, movement, and meditation. And those seven things are super crucial to setting up a really holistic, and I know that word's so overused, but man, sometimes it's such an important word, a holistic strategy for living, for lifestyle design. So I kind of think of us as ancient apes who need to sort of redesign our life for the modern world. And Luke, I think you really exemplify this, man. I got to say, every time I'm out with you in LA, I see all the, the gadgets, gizmo strategies, things you're doing and I'm like whoa I need to get with it so talk to us a little bit about how you got to where you're at because you are really clued in and keyed in on a lot of this stuff but you started off in the fashion industry which seems like kind of a, a stretch tell us how that how you pulled all that sort of together and where you <laughs> it's a strange world where well I moved to Hollywood back in 89 and I was a musician so I moved here and started playing in bands and you know lived a pretty rowdy lifestyle I guess you could say and definitely was not like eating organic and stuff, uh, to say the least. So I was like kind of got immersed in the Hollywood lifestyle. And through that, just randomly ended up becoming a fashion stylist, which for anyone listening that doesn't know what that is, it basically means you dress people for music videos and red carpet and all that kind of stuff. So I, I went from being a musician into actually dressing musicians. And that became a career that I did for 15 years. All the while, while I was doing that, I started to have some health problems, you know, back in the day. And so I started to explore different things. You know, in the beginning it was, oh, juicing, you know, that was like this big discovery and doing fast and kind of just starting out with the basic stuff, learning about organic food, et cetera. And then basically over the past 18 years, I've just kept adding incrementally, you know, little strategies to my life in order to improve my own health and then the people around me while they think I'm nuts a lot of the time which I probably am uh, you know they started asking me about some of the things that I was doing and I started sharing that information and then it sort of has transitioned in the last couple of years into me doing that more professionally and phasing out of 
helping people on the outside, so to speak, and helping them to look better in a superficial way into working on their inside. So, you know, just their mentality, thinking, spirituality, things like you covered, meditation, and of course all the food and then all the lifestyle practices and gadgets. So it's kind of, you know, just really, that's why I say now I'm a lifestylist, which is just helping people adopt things that help them to feel better. And I just want to say too, I mean, it's, you, you weren't just sort of poking around in that scene over there. I mean, you work with some big names and did some really cool things and, um, and continue to now, I think what's really neat is this idea of lifestyling. And I think this is this career path that's going to open up for a lot of people. I mean, this is going to be a, a big booming market of people who know how to redesign, you know, lifestyles for modern apes in a zoological or sorry, in a, in a factory farm world. But you've done some, you've done some really neat stuff over the years. And now what I see you doing is working with some people, uh, personally working with some companies to help them set up healthier environments and things like that. Talk a little bit about what you're doing in that arena. Well, the thing about it is, is, you know, people have health issues. They can't sleep. They're overweight. They have no energy. They get sick all the time and they know that they should be healthy but they're not really interested in putting the time and energy into learning all this stuff and geeking out on it because they're just not interested. They just want to live their life, right? So the role that I play is kind of using myself as a guinea pig and experimenting with anything and everything that I hear about that can improve your performance and just your well-being. And I kind of put in the research and the work and try it, and then I can translate it to people in a very simple way so that they don't have to, you know, understand the inner mechanisms of the hypothalamus, <laughs> you know, and, and um, you know, and your melatonin levels. I'm just like, dude, the sun's not up past dark, and your brain thinks it is when you have blue lights on your computer. So wear these dumb orange glasses. It makes sense. It works, you know? <laughs> simple, simple. Yeah, so it's like I'm able to just kind of dumb things down because I, I'm not a really analytical scientific person. I just use my intuition and just try and follow some of the basic principles of nature and people seem to respond to that because I'm not so like out there and woo woo that they don't trust me. And I'm also not so scientific that I lose them in this intellectual morass, if that makes sense. It makes actually so much sense. And I feel a real kinship with that because that's sort of, for me, what I'm always trying to do as well is, is I think, you know, how do I take a scientific study and then present it to somebody like a kid's book uh, right, and not right. because I think people are stupid, but because I prefer to get information in a kid's book. I mean, that's just how <laughs> totally. I prefer it. So sorting through that stuff. But I'll also say that you're one of the people, you know, and there's really only a few select folks out there who are kind of my sources for what's cutting edge and what's happening. Because I tend to, I, you know, I just kind of have a good sense now. I've, I feel like I have a good handle on my health strategy. I, have, I feel really solid about where I'm at. And it's no longer my obsession and my hobby the way it was when I was younger. You were talking about when we met at Erewhon all those years ago and I came in to speak and it was like, just you bringing that up, I almost blush a little bit. It's like, man, was I just a cocky little Man, I was just a <laughs> punk then and so full of knowledge, but you know, hadn't matured as much on the path. And I understand why a lot of people don't want to make this their life because they already have hobbies and interests and families and work and things that fill their lives up. And so I know certainly, and you can relate to this, it's like, you know, dedicating essentially a full-time job worth of hours into this idea of health, performance, and nutrition for a decade. I mean, that's a major commitment. So it's kind of our job now to make this stuff really simple for people. Um, something I wanted to talk with you a little bit about, I wanted to kind of 
talk about the difference. You know, I'm living out, obviously, other coast from you. So I'm in Maine right now as we speak, out in the forest. You're in Los Angeles, right in the thick of that, po- that massive population density and all things tech happening. And yet we're aspiring to really similar lifestyles. And I thought it would be fun to talk a little bit about how we're making that work in our two different lives. Because I'm guessing some of the people listening to this show live rurally and that's sort of their lifestyle and then i'm thinking there's some other people listening to this who are extremely urban and some of those urban folks are saying i want to get out of the urban world and some are not and some want to stay in that world and just want strategies to survive there and i think it'd be cool to sort of talk about how we're both making that work um just because I think there's a broad range of people now. This isn't like it was in the beginning. Do you remember when early in, Luke, when you know you could keep track of every book coming out on, on nutrition, for instance? You oh, could, right. You right, could keep yeah. track of the whole scene. And now it's like you just – it's impossible. We've hit that critical mass. Um, there's so much going on. So we can make it as simple as possible and as usable for people. Then that's really awesome. And I kind of want to start with – your um, food paradigm living in Los Angeles, how you're making that work. And I kind of want to compare that with what I'm doing out here in uh, Maine. Well, you know, it's, it's gotten easier. <laughs> and I, I really appreciate like the food choices we have available to us in LA when I travel. And you'd think that when I travel, like I was just in Colorado in a great place called Pagosa Springs, which is this amazing town built around a giant hot springs, which is another conversation, but I'm out there and I'm in the mountains and it's, you know, in a really remote area and it's actually much harder to find natural food that just came out of the ground or food that came out of the ground and then went into an animal and then you eat the animal. (laughs) It is hard to find just like healthy food. There's one little health food store and, you know, half the stuff in there is full of canola oil and God knows what else. That And the smell, right? You walk in and it's like, smells like oats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, it's just like a little gluten den, you know. But, um, <laughs> but so I get back to LA and I'm just like, oh, thank God I can get back to the city and be healthy, which is a really strange sort of paradox. But, you know, my journey in terms of food has gone from I mean, it's funny because both my parents like shopped at the health food store. I wasn't allowed to have Twinkies or, you know, Fruit Loops or any of that when I was a kid. So, of course, because I wasn't allowed, I hung out with all the like white trash kids in the neighborhood that had like the grossest trailer park food available. And that's what I really lived on when I wasn't at home. So, you know, growing up, I was aware of health food, but I rebelled against it. And then, you know, as I started to feel the repercussions of that, maybe in my early 20s and started to eat healthy, I sort of lumped all meat into meat is bad for you because of, you know, the um, industrial farming practices. And at that time, you really, there wasn't natural meats and foods like that available, you know, grass fed and grass finished and all this. So I went the, the vegetarian route. And what happened when I did that was I got really sick. And I didn't know it at the time, but like my immune system was just really down and I had a lot of digestive problems because at that time, this is going back like in the late 90s, to be a vegetarian meant that you basically just lived off soy and gluten. You know? <laughs> so it's like, Satan, I believe is yeah, the name. Yeah, which is aptly named, really, yeah. if you think about it. It's hilarious. So, you know, and, I, and I, you know, I've never really been overweight, but, I, you know, for the first time in my life, I developed like this bloating and this kind of fat stomach, and I just 
had no energy and I was on this total glucose high. I mean, in retrospect, it's like, oh my God, I didn't even know what a ketone was. I probably never even had one in my body. So that didn't really work for me, but spiritually being a vegetarian just felt better because I love animals and I thought, well, if you don't have to kill one, you know, why don't you just eat broccoli or whatever? And then throughout the mean, course... Does that mean you hated vegetables? <laughs> I was, well, I would juice a lot, but it was, it's still honestly, like vegetables are hard for me to get down. I don't really like enjoy eating them most but of the I, time. I mean, as a life form, it's like... Oh, yeah, that, yeah. That oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, like... Totally, totally. Well, there's, yeah, I mean, that's a whole, oh my God, a whole other can of worms there. It's like I was in my Kundalini yoga class today and there's like... 200 vegans sitting on sheepskins, which is, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it just gets ironic at a certain point. But anyway, so the food journey really led me to just finding a balance. And honestly, a couple years ago, when I heard about Dave Asprey's stuff and I started adopting some of the principles of just, you know, not eating inflammatory foods and just drinking bulletproof coffee, and I started getting all these fats in it just finally clicked and my body just went, yes, this is the way you're supposed to eat, which is lots of healthy fats, some vegetables, definitely like very low carbohydrates and starches and things like that. And for the most part, you know, I try not to eat sugar and fruit and all of that. So I guess you could say I ended up kind of in a paleo place. But then again, like the vegetarian, quote unquote, health foods, when you get into the paleo foods, I mean, if you go in whole foods in the paleo section, it's like a lot of stuff that's actually not really yeah, good for Yeah, it's a lot of brownies body. and cookies. And yeah, it's really weird. So, and, and oftentimes, like even gluten-free stuff like hurts my stomach. I just, yeah. my body rejects it. So I would say my food program ended up being not really, I don't really like the word diet, but I try to just eat as close to the ground as possible, meaning like, you know, farm-to-table restaurants and stuff. So in L.A., we're super lucky. Like, we just got this great place that opened up called, um, oh, man, it's like a, a butcher shop slash grass-fed burger joint. Uh, Belcampo, oh, I think it's called. God, I wish I knew the name because I like to give them a shout-out. But it just opened up up on 3rd Street, and, I mean, you can go in there and get, like, grass-fed bone broth and all sorts of... Um, like custom ghee formulations. I mean, it's just really, really on point. And then at the other end of the spectrum too, you can get, you know, cold pressed juices on every corner. It's just like crazy. So we really have a lot of options available here, but I just try to keep it super, super simple. But you're finding there in the city, it's easy to find the grass fed meat. It's easy to find bones. Is it easy to find things like raw butter, raw dairy, things like that? Well, absolutely. I mean, the raw butter costs, you know, Eight, my butter costs eighteen dollars for whatever it is a pound. No, you're no, you're yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's from organic pastures, and I mean it's amazing cultured raw butter. I mean, I guess right. once like you put it LA in prices. a bulletproof coffee, for example, it's not raw anymore, but it's better than eating pasteurized cream to me. Yeah. And so you're, yeah, so your, it, your average cup of coffee made at home is worth nine bucks or something? <laughs> totally, okay. totally. But there's just so much of that out there. And even like when I first started traveling to New York a lot about six years ago, I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find anything organic or grass fed or anything like that. And they're just everywhere. So it's one of the cool things. Like when I joked about Erwan being a nightclub, it's sometimes I'll catch myself sort of being negative because I walk in a store like that and it's so trendy and crowded. I'm like, man, I was coming here back in 91, you know? <laughs> 
and being all indignant. And then, but then at the same time, if I drive by a Costco, I'm like under my breath, oh God, how could those cretins right. eat there? You know? <laughs> so yes. Really have to catch myself you, be like, man, happy? it's cool that it's trendy to, you know, eat health, healthy food and take care of your body. I and mean, it's a good trend. Just like, I think we were joking a couple of weeks ago about you know, pretending to, to meditate on Instagram. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, at least, you know, that's better than, you know, check out these shoes or these lip injections or whatever could be going on there. It's, it's pretty cool that spirituality and, you know, living a healthy lifestyle is actually it's trending. It's in right now. Cool. I know, but yeah. it, is, it is a little funny to, to watch sort of the... Anyway, everybody listening knows that because we're all laughing at it together, I think. But and no offense to anyone that pretends to meditate on Instagram. Yeah, God bless. Yeah, keep it up. Um, so I, how about the farmer's market scene out there? How is that right now? Oh, my God. The Hollywood farmer's market is insane. I mean, you can get, like, such a variety of great raw dairy and all kinds of different uh, fermented foods all sorts of different amazing pastured eggs, um, you know, grass-fed bison, grass-fed beef. The only issue is that you have to get up really early on Sunday. And Sunday, <laughs> and Sunday I have a great meditation group that I do with my friend Jeff Kober, who I believe is going to be on your show at some point. So Jeff does his meditation. Then I have another a Kundalini yoga class that morning. So I'm always like torn. It's either farmer's market or these other amazing things. But it's thriving, and it's like it's super, super busy. Everyone goes there. It's cool. Yeah. So it seems to me like in the in the last few years, hanging out in L.A. and New York, it, it has become a kind of mecca for the, like a like a capital for the growing health movement in the United States, if not in North America. And so living rurally, it's funny because I think a lot of people would picture that. Oh, well, you're closer to the farms and it must be a lot easier. And you were highlighting this a few minutes ago. But for me, there are certain challenges that are presented here that I don't experience in L.A. So when I go to L.A., it's like I can go out to eat with my friends and we can go to get food that is of the caliber that I want to eat. And that's really, really fun versus here where I live. It's a little more challenging. I might have to go an hour before I could get anywhere where there might be something that I would want to eat out with people. Um, Similarly, in the city, it does feel like every corner is doing organic juice or, like you said, bone broth as a with butter blended into it. I mean, really? That's happening now, and it's not happening here in the Northeast yet. So we're, we're still a few years behind. What we do have is access to the farms direct, and so it's funny to hear you say, you know, for a pound of butter is 18 bucks. I pay, you know, I think about $6 for jersey only all grass-fed beautiful hand-pressed butter and um, so i have access to great pastured meats uh direct from the farm and um, right now i have vegetable access which is nice and of course foraging which is a beautiful thing and something i want to mention we're talking food paradigm and i think i'm on a pretty similar page with you luke as far as something paleo-ish and it's the people who are like, no, paleo, 100%. That's like, those are the people I sidestep and avoid anyway. Most of the people I know are kind of doing some version of the paleo type of idea. Um, but here we have access to a lot of wild food. And I've been playing with what I can do around my house without having to actually go out foraging, you know? Because like everybody, I've got a work day. I've got things i got to do. And for instance, I have a big lamb's quarter plant in my backyard which every time I cook up some eggs, I go out back and I pull the tops off of it. And I just keep using this plant over and over again. So it's a way to get wild food into my diet without necessarily having to go 
on a big foraging run or mission. So I'm always looking at how can I get some wild food in? I'm going to the farmer's market. I'm buying lots of vegetables this time of year. Um, I'm doing a lot of meats, um, a lot of animal fats, a lot of eggs. And again, like you said, trying to keep it simple. And I just wanted to touch on for a second, you brought up, you know, not liking the word diet. And I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on that. Well, diet Im implies that you have to have some rigid rules. It's like, it, it sort of sets one up for failure. Oh, I'm on this. Like, I think if you could describe my food program, the best would probably be the bulletproof diet, which I really like what Dave's done with that because it's on a spectrum, it's a scale. It's not like, if you eat this, you're off the diet. <laughs> See <laughs> right. what I mean? And you eat this, you're on the diet. It's just, it's, it's really great. And anyone, you can download the PDF of it online and you know, I don't get anything out of that, obviously. It's just a really great uh, program because you have like the orange and red sort of scale on the bottom and up into the green, which is the optimal foods. And so, you know, not having to be on a diet gives me the freedom where, you know what, man, I'm on a road trip and I stop in a gas station, I eat a giant Snickers and I'm like, you know, I'm willing to pay the consequences of doing that, but I haven't broken a diet. It's just, that's lower on the scale of food. It's actually not a food and I'm accepting that I'm putting a non-food in my body and I'm allowing myself to have a positive kind of self-acceptance and self-love and non-critical attitude toward myself about that. Whereas having to be on a diet just does not sound fun. Yeah, I think like with that, something that's been occurring to me lately, it, well, two things. The first is that our community tends to be tends to lean towards orthorexia right so that obsession with eating the right thing and one of the interesting things if you talk to people who ever did a hundred percent diet before like especially in the hundred percent raw food kind of scene is you'll end up with a lot of people who are bulimic uh, right. because what they're doing is they're sort of and this happens you know you mentioned before about the um, paleo scene how you know, you restrict out all the carbohydrate, and then what you end up seeing is all these carbohydrate replacements because people are fiending for the carbohydrates. And what ends up, in my experience, in that kind of a world is that you'll have people who then go out and binge on something they are not supposed to have according to their diet. So they're going to have rice or pasta or whatever it is, and they binge out on it, and then they go home and they puke. And then they try to fill in that gap with something they think is good. And they'll repeat that cycle a lot. And I've been there early days of raw foodism where I was more, it was more of a religion for me than it was really a diet. Um, and that's called orthorexia. That's, it's like anorexia, except that instead of an obsession with thinking that you're overweight, it's an obsession with thinking that you're toxic and that you're dirty inside and you've got to clean yourself with food somehow or restrict out foods. The other thing I want to say, and this has been on my mind a lot lately, is like more and more when I hear the word diet, I think about a factory or a zoo's feeding program for an animal <laughs> because, you know what I mean? Because it's like, yeah. think about if we were naturally living outside, our diet would essentially be changing. We'd have some staple foods, but most of our foods would be changing every week as new stuff became available and other stuff was no longer in season. And it would always be changing. When we lay out diets, we tend to give a list of foods that are okay and a list of foods that are semi-okay and a list of foods that are bad. And you eat from just those foods and you kind of end up eating the same stuff every day, maybe in different you know, recipes or whatever, but it ends up being kind of a feeding program 
versus sort of you naturally eating. Does that make sense? Because that, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's been on my mind a lot. So I just want to say, yeah, I don't oh, like that word. Dude, you, I mean, you just, you just unpacked a lot right there. And <laughs> I, I know if any of my friends end up hearing this, which I'm sure some will, they're like, Luke, you have that whatever orexia thing. Because I have had a history of just wanting to control everything in my environment. And, you know, it's, it's funny because it comes from... I believe a positive motive in the beginning, which is, you know, self-love and self-care of like, you know what, I don't want to put anything in my body that harms me and I want to make my environment as safe as possible. But there is this line that one can cross, at least in my own experience, where it can become an obsession to the point where the mental rigidness and that dogma and that element of control and self-obsession is probably actually more harmful on a on a you know metaphysical as well as physiological level as just kind of eating in the middle of the road somewhat healthy food you see what i mean oh i mean i see this all the time i just always tell people stand outside of a gym watch the people who walk in and out look at these beautiful healthy sexy people who don't really think that much about what they're eating and just feel good about themselves and then go hang out in a health scene and look at all these skinny, pale, sick people who are obsessed with how bad everything is, you know? <laughs> yeah, so, so I think I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on the, uh, the twilight of that, and I'm, I'm, I'm coming out of that for myself, and, that, and that's why I guess I said I really like, you know, the Bulletproof diet being on a spectrum so that I have a little bit of breathing room, and, you know, I, I can at least make an educated decision if I'm eating something that's a little bit inflammatory or it's not organic, that I don't have to have this mental torture going on of always obsessing about myself and what I'm putting in my body. It's like last night I just, you know, I got hungry around 9.30 and I just thought, you know what, I just want something quick and hot and like flavorful. And I thought, oh, there's this Thai restaurant up the street. And I just went up there, I've never been there. I don't know if it's organic, I don't know anything. I just went and ate the Thai food and I really enjoyed it. So I think having that positive energy and and just loving kind thoughts about myself and what i'm eating probably made that food pretty safe for me yeah i think it's like a 90 percent on it 10 percent let yourself live on this planet i mean because sometimes you know when you're just and i know you're a meditator and a spiritual guy like me and so you i know that you kind of well, I'll project onto you that I know. I assume, you, you know, there's those moments that you have where it's like, wow, the opportunity to be alive on this planet and have all access to all of these experiences and to imagine then being like, no, <laughs> no, right. I'm just going to live in my little cave. Right. No, everything's bad. It's like there's a lot to explore here, and I think it's important that we give ourselves that whatever percentage of our lives we want to allot to just going and having fun. You know, I see the same thing, actually, and I, uh, I'm curious your thoughts on this. I see it a lot, too, with media, with music, with movies, where it's like everybody always does that thing of I don't watch any TV, but there's this one show. I hear that <laughs> all the time, right? Or like I'll, I love movies. I really do, and I know that Hollywood is producing garbage, and I know that most of the movies are filled with subliminal messaging or whatever, but look, I don't have a tribe of 35, 50 people that I hang out with every night around a fire and tell stories. I don't have that. So I want right. stories in my life. So I go to the movies and it's such a drag when somebody is like acts too righteous, you know, like, oh, I don't, I don't 
personally, you know, watch any media. It's like liar. First, you're lying. And, you know, I know you are, you're lying. And second, like you don't like movies, knock it off. Like, let's live a little bit because we are ancient apes, but we are in a modern world. And there's things we need, like stories, right? Like like a, a sense of um, connectedness via storytelling, things like that. So I always just think sometimes people take it too far. And, you know, I, I think this is a cool conversation we're having because both of us are in a position to influence people. And I think it's important that we're really real with people about it. I have to say, though, so I have a friend, a buddy who's come over, uh, comes, been coming over to my house for years and years. And every time he comes over, I feed him the weirdest stuff, you know, he, for him. You know, it's normal stuff for me, but for him, it's always been just crazy. And, I, and I've never eaten at his place, right? So I'm over there a couple nights back and he gets this pizza. And it's a really good pizza. It's not like, you know, it's not a Domino's pizza or something. He gets this local kind of wood-fired place and they do really cool toppings, blah, blah, blah. And, you know... I hadn't eaten all day, and I was like, you know what, I'm John, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. And he's like, no way, you're gonna eat with me. And I was like, I am. So I have a couple of pieces. Whoa, <laughs> the inflammation, bro. Like, right. You know, right. it was like, wow. So then it was a reminder. It was interesting, but I actually felt really good to share that with him because we, because it feels so good to people when you're willing to experience their thing with them. And so that when in Rome thing feels important. Thoughts. Absolutely. I mean, this goes back to just the freedom in open-mindedness, you know, and in, and in non-judgmental attitudes. It's like one of my favorite spiritual teachers of all time was named uh, David Hawkins. He wrote a book called Power Versus Force, among many others that I just, you know, transformed my life. And one of the things he talked about was just because you like chocolate doesn't mean you have to be against vanilla. <laughs> and I just, right? Right. And, and I just, right. I just, that, that one principle just transformed my mind and, and opened my mind even more so that it's just like, I want an expansive life. And yeah, would I prefer to eat, you know, something really wholesome and healthy and natural over, you know, a non-organic casein gluten filled pizza? Yeah. But you know what? Sometimes you just got to live, man. And there really is something to be said when someone makes you an offering and being willing to kind of meet them at their level and enjoy that with them. And there's and this I, other piece, I think, too, which is like you can't be made out of glass, you know, and that's one of the things that happens when you, you know, back in the day I could eat pizza all the time. I, it was for short inflammatory. I didn't know it because I lived in a state of inflammation. Now I feel it for sure if I do something like that. I mean, it's noticeable. At the same time, I don't want to... Um, it's like a child that's been so, uh, like a kid with a trust fund who's been isolated from all of the, the dangers of the world and then released out into the world and it's like they're made of glass. They can't handle the real world. They can only handle an artificial version of the world. So similarly, it's like that's what's in our environment and we're creating these little wholesome bubbles, but it's so important that we can move through the world, I think. Um, especially when we've been on the path for a while and we're anchored in with our health practices, I think it is important that we're able to explore the world without um, it destroying us just because we took a breath, you know, in the airport or we had a sip of water <laughs> that was less than what we wanted. You know what I mean? <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, again, it's it's on the spectrum. You know, it's like if I'm out in the desert and I'm dying of thirst and you hand me some LA tap water, I'm going to chug that I'm down. It's it. going to be the, it's going to be the best it. thing ever, you know, but if I have a choice, 
I'm going to choose to go get my own water from the mountains. Exactly. And, but I'm not going to be critical of myself or other people who don't choose to do that. Because that's a whole ego trip, too. It's like, well, I get the chronic spring water <laughs> yeah. from the mountain, and you're drinking swag because you're drinking yeah. Mountain Valley. I mean, it's just all so what's, silly. What's you the know? TDS, bro? So let's talk, yeah. about, let's talk about water because, I mean, this is another one. I, of course, have been this champion for spring water for a long time. And I got to say, I figured out that, hey, there's some other approaches that I see that work pretty good, too. Um, and I want to kind of get a sense of how you're making it work in L.A. Because I'm, when I'm in L.A., sometimes I connect with somebody like you and it's like, hey, dude, I brought you some spring water, which is awesome. Sometimes I go to L.A. and I don't get to connect with anybody and I got to buy all my water. And I want to talk about – now, here's another thing. When I get there and I got to buy water, I'm only there for a few days. I'll be spendy about that. But I don't live there. I couldn't afford to drink. You know, I'll buy 20 glass bottles of water. I, there's no way I would do that if I lived there around the clock. So talk to me about how you're making water work in Los Angeles. Well, first I want to thank you for awakening to something I had long forgotten, and that is the gift of being able to go get your own water from Mother Earth. And when you first started talking about spring water, or at least I first um, came across your work, it's like I had been um, woken up from a slumber. I remembered when I started getting my own water. I actually used to do that when I was a kid. My grandmother lived in um, outside of Denver up in the mountains. And w when I was a kid, she used to always take me, and we'd have these glass bottles, and we filled the car up with spring water. And I had totally erased that memory. I was really young, and I had forgotten about it. So when I started doing it again, it was just this primordial, like, Oh, just such a good feeling to be able to go and have that experience. Not only, you know, to take the water home and to drink it, but just the experience of letting the planet give me something so pristine and beautiful, which is, it's really hard to find anything on the planet that hasn't been affected by industrialization, right? Yeah, it's pretty so, much, spring water is pretty much the deal. Yeah, I mean, that's like, <laughs> you know, unless you get out of our atmosphere, then you're kind of, what's here is here. But that stuff coming from wherever it comes from down there, is, uh, is magical, so thank you for that. Uh, I, of course, have found springs, thanks to findaspring.com, all over the country. So when I travel, I mean, if I can take one day when I land, I'll go on there and I'll go find a spring. Like, I've done that in Atlanta, Dallas, all kinds of weird places that I've traveled with my school. In LA, uh, I have a spring that I'll go to. If I happen to run out, Actually, it's funny, dude. The spring that I go to, you can't pull your car up to uh, because it's up this ravine and it's really steep. So the first time I went, I was like, I'm only bringing glass, bro. No plastic. <laughs> <laughs> and I drive up there. It's 8,000 feet above you know, uh, sea level. It's up in the mountains in the Angeles Forest here in LA. And it's about two hours from, from Hollywood. So I go up there and I, and I take my glass bottle and I carry it up this ravine. And I almost kill myself trying to get the bottle up there, but then by the time I get to the top and find this pristine, beautiful spring, I'm not gonna like walk back down with no water. <laughs> so, I, so I fill up this five gallon carboy and proceed to try to carry it back down the hill, like no backpack, no gear, no nothing, just in my hands. And I couldn't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, a mesomorph, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> You're not a beast. <laughs> Don't have, yeah, I'm not that kind of beast. I'm like 6'2 and pretty scrawny. 
So I tried to carry it down. I can't do it, and I'm not going to give up. So I had to kind of slide down this rocky slope on my butt and just scoot <laughs> the, the carboy on your lap. Yeah, it like took me an hour to get it down there, and it was so <laughs> right. dangerous because I'm up there by myself. I could have severed a freaking artery with a broken bottle and just ended up Bled there. Bled out on the mountain. <laughs> yeah. So next time I went, I devised this whole uh, gravity-fed system with a funnel and all this tubing all the way down. It's probably about, I don't know, 100 yards or something from the spring to the car. And I essentially made myself like a filling station. And so when I go up there now, I have all this stuff buried in the bushes and, you know, I go hook it up and then I fill my car up. So it's quite an elaborate um, operation. And I just fill up my entire SUV <laughs> with bottles and that'll last me a few months. When I run out, I've got a friend named Makunde here in LA who has another spring he goes to and he actually built a whole full on trailer and he's like his little mini water company, and he brings me the water and delivers it in glass, and it's pristine and beautiful. And it's actually only $3 more than Mountain Valley. It's like $25, I think, for the five-gallon Mountain Valley was my old backup, and that was, I think, $22. So I'm covered in L.A., which is amazing. <clears throat> what I do if I travel is I'll order bottles ahead of time. I go to New York a lot for work, and the best spring water you can get commercially out there is Saratoga Springs. Mm -hmm. So I'll email them and just order three cases delivered to my hotel so the moment I land, like, it's there, and I don't have to drink any swag plastic water from Whole Foods. Ooh, that's a really good idea, Luke. I hadn't really ever thought of doing that before. I appreciate that. It's cool, yeah. And then, like I said, if worse comes to worse, like, I drink whatever. Now, let's know? talk about that. Worse comes to worse because it does. But let's face it, right? Yeah. Like, in the airport, for instance, so you check through security, you're, sh you're stripped of water and sharps, right? Right. Now you're in the airport, <clears throat> and you're flying to New York from L.A., so you're six hours. You have no water. Obviously, you're drinking something. Talk, to, talk about that. Okay. I take a small bottle filled with spring water of Myron glass. <laughs> because the x-ray can't see through it. <laughs> it gets deep, bro. It gets deep. I mean, it gets crazier than that. But, yeah, so I can sneak a little bit on. I have been busted and then, you know, have to drink it there. Yeah. But what I'll do is, I, is I'll look around the airport for at least Fiji. Like, Fiji and Avion, to me, are they just taste the safest and most normal. <laughs> right, right. Versus the ones that are like Dasani or Arrowhead or, you know, those ones that are like obviously from Nestle or Pepsi or Coca-Cola, which I just don't trust at all. Um, so I just, you know, get the best water I can. And, uh, and then on the plane, I mean, God, talking about like jet lag and plane hacks is a whole other deal, but I'll put like a liquid chlorophyll in my water and paracetam and I make these just weird concoctions that still have water in them, but I kind of optimize the water yeah, to help the, do something to life. it. Yeah. I'm finding when, um, so, you know, I have a spring down the street for me and this time of year, I'll go fill up the bottles, I'll bring them back, and then when I put them, you know, the bottle that I'm drinking from, I'll put that all down in the basement, it stays nice and cool, but the bottle that I, I'm drinking from upstairs gets just, it gets too warm, you know, it's 85 degrees and humid, I mean, the water gets really warm, and so I'll drink from my well here, um, and what I found, and if uh, for those listening, if you heard the interview uh, with Dr. Gerald Pollack about water, we talked a lot about electrons being in water, and that's something I've been really um, keen on lately is just, is this water moving? Has it been underground? Has it been moving, right? The water that I gather from the spring often sits for a long time, but the water from my well, which is right outside and nice and deep, 
springs really cold water from up in the ground. Now, what I don't love about it is that it has to go through some, you know, uh, some piping to get here, but it's not much. And I find that that water is more zingy, more energizing, more lively than spring water that's been sitting and become stagnant and warm and lost some of its gases. So I'm kind of playing back and forth between those two things. And it's made me really develop this clear distinction about water that's been underground or sorry, water that's sourced from underground versus surface water that's been reclaimed. And when I'm in the airport and I got no options, and so that's a thing. Have you noticed this, Luke? You go into some airports and you have amazing options. You go into some, some other airports and it's nothing. Like some airports only have Nestle products. Oh, yeah, and it, it depends on the terminal. Like at yeah, LAX, exactly. if you go to Terminal 3, which is the JetBlue and Virgin one, which I try to stay in when possible. Yeah, it's, I like aw- it's awesome, right? But yeah, like if you go to, there's only one spot in there that has Fiji. It's a little independent store. You can get it from Starbucks. But if you go just to like the newsstand, they only have, you know, Dasani or some just total swag, acidic plastic water. So yeah, you do have to be, be a bit strategic about it for sure. Yeah, I noticed we, you know, I was in uh, San Francisco and I forget which terminal it is that it's the same one I think with Virgin and JetBlue has organic food restaurants, has juice and smoothies, has uh, all kinds of health food store products for sale, kale chips, all this kind of stuff. And the rest of the terminals are still super, super swaggy. So, you know, I had to check out a security, run around to another terminal, buy a bunch of food, run around back, check it back through security and get on my flight there. But, you know, I was just on the East Coast and it was like nothing but Dasani products. And um, I ended up actually going and ordering a glass of uh, champagne. <laughs> so I was like, I was I like so it. thirsty. But um, but other airports, yeah, I'll always look for water that's been sourced from underground versus water that's surface water that's reclaimed. So um, something like Aquafina or Dasani or Smart Water, these are all filtered waters. And I'll look for water up here. Often I'll find Poland Spring, which is not that far from me. And even though that water's been through a bunch of filtration and UV and all that, it's still water that's sourced from underground, which means it doesn't have any of the surface pollutants in it and right. it hasn't been stripped down to bare H2O. So that's something I'm always looking at as well. Um, it just, it, it is interesting. Like, I, I, have you ever, uh, are you familiar with the story Dune by any chance? You know, I read that when I was a kid, but I don't remember anything about it. I was Man, I love this book. I love it. And I listened to a sort of theatrical audiobook version of it. But water is the supreme part of the story because it takes place on a desert planet. And and the the indigenous people there reclaim the bodies of their dead for their water, right? So it's like water is so precious that when somebody dies... You know, they distill them and it's frowned upon to even cry because you're releasing water into the atmosphere and they live inside of a still suit, which is like reclaims all their body moisture. And it really just drives home all these points, like how precious water is and how finite it is on the surface of the planet and how there are places that I go where I really feel that, hence the airport discussion we're having yeah, because yeah. most places I go. And then what about when you're out to eat like, and you don't have your water with you? Talk about that. Well, first thing before I, before I answer that, I just want to make two recommendations. There's two documentaries on water which are fantastic. One of them is called Water, the Great Mystery. And this movie explores the consciousness of water and this leads you down the rabbit hole of, you know, why putting water through right angle pipes in your home makes the water not good anymore. And a lot of the more esoteric sort of spiritual elements of water. Then there's another one called Blue Gold, which is about 
you know, well, at least the idea of uh, coming water wars in the future once, you know, the oil wars have kind of subsided that the next great, um, you know, war that mankind is going to go into is over the world's water resources. So those are really two very cool um, documentaries about water. And the other thing is, is what I do to protect my water, I just wanted to mention this, and you know, I know I'm a nut, like, you know, my friends are like, dude, but listen, to me, water is, is it. I mean, when we go, when we go out into space, what do we look for? You know, when they put their Mars rover down, like, what are they trying to find? Water. I mean, water is the number one thing of all. That's always the first thing I cover with clients is like, let's talk about your water. So it's just paramount. Going back to eating out, you know, it's funny. I always have this, like, little battle with waiters when I eat out because they, they insist on giving me a drink, and I just really don't drink anything when I'm eating food. I just, mm -hmm. I don't digest food right when I drink, so I don't drink anything before or after. So if I sit down at a dinner, I really won't drink anything at all. So that becomes kind of a, a moot point. But if I'm just having a light meal or something like that or, you know, grabbing an espresso somewhere, I'll drink a Pellegrino. Pellegrino is pretty easy to find in glass, and it's also full of sulfates, which have a lot of um, positive attributes health-wise. So it's kind of a new thing for me. I've been just like pounding Pellegrino, so if I go out, I'll tend to drink that. That's exactly what I do too. I'll get, um, I'll, I always ask for a glass bottled sparkling if they have it, and um, and it is funny when you, it can be really challenging for, for the serving staff to understand why you don't want the, you know, the refill water that they give you when you first sit down. <laughs> it's like, get all this. I'm so Zen. It's like, get this stuff off the table. Like it's overwhelming me. Like yeah. I don't need these eight glasses here. We're not going to drink this tap water. It's totally and, uh, like waiters can't stand it when you, I think, you know, because they're, they're, they're trying to be kind and be of service to you and, and they're just in the paradigm where everyone sits down and drinks the water when they sit down and it's really confusing so actually a lot of time i just go yeah just bring me a tap water cool and that just so they can stop fretting about it <laughs> and then i just and then i just let it sit there full oh there's there's one other thing actually I, I, that i missed and that was what i do to protect the spring water because you're talking about you go get this pristine water down the road you keep it essentially in a wine cellar right in your basement to keep it cool and in the dark which water of course should be should be treated with that kind of respect. What I did because, um, well now I don't have a basement, I just I moved into an apartment so I have to keep it in the kitchen. I previously kept it in a basement in my last house. Is I went and um, went online to Amazon and I ordered these rolls of Mylar reflective insulation. So it's sort of like bubble wrap, but it's Mylar. And I'm, I fashioned these little water covers that go over all of my stores. I, I don't know if I would models. call those little, but go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they're, yeah, they're actually like three feet tall. And so essentially they're these cylinders, like a giant soup can or something, right, with a, with a top on it. And I just slide those over the bottles, including the bottle that's in the dispenser. So it really keeps it cool and also protects it from any light. And it just keeps the water kind of fresh. Now, if I had a well and it was coming out super cold, I'd probably follow, follow your tip on that one up. 
Yeah, I think um, both strategies work really good. And obviously, in your situation, your option of tap water isn't so good. And I would drink the spring water if I didn't have access to something colder. It was nice. I was just up at Arthur Haynes' place for the weekend. It was his daughter's birthday. And we uh, were having a ceremony for her. And and there they have a brook uh, that runs out of the mountains where they live. And so there's nothing uphill from them except sort of the summit of the mountain. And this water, which is certainly spring source, but we drink it at the brook. And now that's something I normally don't recommend to people and I don't normally do. But he's been drinking that water forever and I started drinking it every time I went. And this water is like coursing out over the rocks and it's just – it's living, moving breathing happy water. And wow, I really love the opportunity to drink that. What I think is interesting in our conversation that we've had is that neither of us are going for any kind of filter option, which is what most people are usually thinking about. What kind of filter do you use? What kind of filter should I get? And it's like, I I think you and I are going to really great lengths to avoid having to do that. And I think that says something because that water for me is almost always just so lifeless and it leaves me so thirsty. No Dude, listen, if, if you're having to if you're having to drink water that needs a filter, that's a pretty good indication that that's yeah. not water you want to be right. drinking in the first and place. Thank you. And that's what I was saying before about water from the surface. Now, that said, right. again, I'll drink the blood of zombies if I have to stay alive. I mean, I'm not trying to you know, tell people like I don't want to create a kind of anorexia around water for anybody. Yeah. I think it's important that we stay. And, you know, if if. I'll drink whatever water I have to drink. I mean, that's key. And I'll drink lots of whatever water I have to drink too. I'm not going to let water ration. But that said, we've set up lives where we can get access to really good water from underground. I think that's awesome. So talk to me about air. I mean, here you are in Los Angeles. You guys aren't exactly known for um, squeaky clean air out there. Oh God. (laughs) It's it's You can air, you can see. (laughs) It is it is intense out here, yeah. I mean, if you leave your car outside one night, the next day it will have this sort of black dust all over. I mean, I, it's just crazy. I think it's a lot of, you know, of course it's it's all of the uh, all of the natural gas that's burning off. It's a lot of tire dust. It's all every like church's chicken pouring out smoke. I mean, you know, it's it's just a <laughs> lot of exhaust, of course. <laughs> it's a lot of weird stuff in the air, and and from time to time, it, it, it's weird. It'll go away for a few months, but there there are months on end where we just get hammered with chemtrails too. And you know, I'm sure your people listening to you are somewhat familiar with that, and <clears throat> maybe don't think I'm a conspiracy theorist because I mentioned that word. But there's something that's going on in the sky where what would be a perfectly, you know, clear desert sky here in L.A. is now like a tic-tac-toe pattern of something that's not, you know, just normal plane travel. So we get, you know, a crazy amount of pollution in the air here. So there's not a lot you can do if you want to be outside. I mean, you just have to think positive. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like you just have to visualize that you're, you're breathing in this pristine alpine air when you're certainly not. Uh, one thing you can do here is live closer to the ocean. The yeah, water sure. is much, much cleaner out in Venice and Santa Monica. I've never lived out there because when I was working as a stylist, it was necessary to live close to Hollywood because all the studios are here and, you know, your day-to-day grind is just in Hollywood and it's too much of a commute. But it's something I have considered. Uh, Inside the house and inside the car, of course, you can use uh, filtration. So 
I've got a couple little Austin Air health mates, one in the living room and then one in my bedroom. I've got plants in my apartment. Um, I'm wanting to get more. You know, I've got a few and I'm realizing I would like to have even more. I have a little living air ionizer that I'll put on in a room when I'm not in there or sometimes when I leave. I'll just leave that thing blasting throughout the house. Uh, when I leave, usually what I'll do too is I'll open all of the windows and just let actual air in because when I'm inside, I tend to keep that air out and filter the air that's coming in through the AC. Mm -hmm. So it's difficult here because like to get clean air, you have to breathe processed air, which has come through. And do you, you what know. do you think about, that's an interesting thing. You just mentioned air conditioning, which if you live in Southern California, if you live in um, Arizona, let's say, or New Mexico or Texas. I mean, there are places where up here an air conditioner is kind of a luxury item and it's not necessary. I don't use one and I don't really need it. But I understand, you know, I've got friends in Tucson, the inside of their house is going to get 115 degrees if they don't use one. What, what do you, but, th but that said, what I'll notice is when I'm in Tucson and I step into their house where it's air conditioned, that air does feel better for me in some way. Like I'm like, ah, I can breathe again. So I'm curious if you experienced that in LA and what your thoughts are as far as running air conditioners, because people living and working out there, of course, that's uh, a huge percentage of the air they're breathing. Yeah. I mean, it's processed air. It's like, it's like eating processed food or processed water. I would prefer to just be breathing fresh air. The thing is, the air here is too damn hot, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, really, when I went on a high-fat um, food program a couple of years ago, my hormones totally changed. And I'm, like, warm-blooded now. I used to be freezing, especially when I was a vegetarian. Oh, my God. I mean, I would wear a sweater in freaking July. But uh, so I'm, I kind of run hot, so I really need the air. And if I get overheated, it starts to have a cognitive um, effect on me where I, I just yeah. can't operate yeah. right. Me too. Yeah, I really do better with cold. Like right before this call, I just went and did a cryo session for people to know mm -hmm. what that is. You know, you're subjecting yourself to, um, I think it's done with dry ice or something to that effect, but you step into this... Uh, liquid nitrogen, no? There, yeah, there you go. I'm like, it looks like dry ice. See, I told you I wasn't scientific. <laughs> All I know is it's 250 degrees below zero, and you go in there for three minutes. But I just figured out if you have them cool it first, all the way to 250, then jump right in, you get three minutes at 250. You got to ah, note that clever. if you ever go. Yeah, because they'll, they'll, they'll do it like half-ass and then put you in there, and then it gets to 220 or 250 while you're in there, but you're really only getting like a minute and a half, minute it's and like a half of that Getting scammed on your cold session. Yeah, so, you know, so I love being cold. That said, uh, I just moved into the place I'm in now, but I'm definitely going to change out the filter that's on my AC intake because I don't know what kind of bunk filter could be on there and what it's actually taking out of the outside air. And how moldy it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. You know, I'm I know that episode about the mold. I'm like, oh, my God, I need to have my place checked. You know, I'm not having any symptoms of mold exposure. And, you know, it's pretty dry here. Yeah, you live in a dry place. So it's, you know, I don't think it's as much of a problem as it could be in other places. But it's, it's really a toss-up. You know, I want that natural air. I want the ions. I want, like, the good air from outside, even if it's dirty, but I also want to be cold. So I try to just mix it up. I switch back and forth. Open the windows, close the windows. Always have air purifiers on, and that's kind of the best you can do here. Yeah, it's interesting thinking back, you know, the, to the people who lived there indigenously because they wouldn't have been inside the kind of building. It's not that the air outside is 
is terrible, terrible to be in. It's when you're indoors and that it's that hot outside. And so it's that indoors, you know, obviously domestication means of the house. So for us domesticated humans, we've created these artificial environments, which get too hot when they're in hot places like that. Right. So again, exactly. I can hang out outside at Tucson in Tucson. It's just indoors. I, there's gotta be air conditioning or else it's going to literally cook you, kill you. So that's so true. That's so yeah. true. Yeah. A friend of mine, a uh, couple that I know, they're actually building an Earthship here in Laurel Canyon. Are you familiar with Earthships yeah. like they have in yeah. New Mexico? They're straight up yeah. building one here. And oh, I guarantee wow. you, in their, if they succeed with their Earthship, which I hope they do, uh, they will not need AC because it'll be constructed. Yeah, passively that, cooled. Yeah. So you're, you're right. I mean, we're living in, you know, these wooden boxes that are essentially, you know, built to capture heat. Yeah. And it, it makes the air thing challenging. You just have to try and, you know, do a little bit of both. Well, I'm on the same kind of pattern as you. You know, I use, um, I use HEPA filtration. Um, I keep my windows open. I keep few, but some house plants. And because I travel a lot, I'm not great at doing the green thumb gardener thing. But I do um, keep house plants. Um, I like an ionizer. Now, here's the thing. I had Dave Asprion, as you mentioned uh, recently. And I brought up ozone, and he was just like, "Nope, stay away from it. Bad news. Don't be in the house." And you mentioned a moment ago when you're, you know, you're not around, you're not home, you like to run that or whatever. I have to say that I really like being in ozone now. Not so much that I start to feel. I know what it's like to overdose on ozone. I have found, and I found this with a lot of wild foods. Things will be told things are poisonous, and then what I'll find is actually you can eat quite a bit of them. You know, and I've done this with several things now that are supposed to kill you if you eat them. And I've eaten huge amounts of them, like huge amounts, and been like, nope, they're pretty good food. Whatever that toxic dose is, it's really high. And then over time, people have just said, oh, it's, you know, you hear it's poisonous and you pass it on and pass it on. It's like telephone game. And before you know it, people think if you even touch the seed of a wild cherry, it's going to kill you. And I can attest to eating two liters of them a day. So, <laughs> right, right. you know what I mean? So I know yeah. that sometimes that happens. And I feel like with ozone, I think there are individuals who are really sensitive to it. And I understand that I'm not one of those individuals unless I'm in it for like three days. I love the way it smells, you know, like that just after a rainstorm. So I will run my ionizer at times when I'm home or I'll fill my house with, house with ozone and when I get home, I'll sort of air it out, but I'll be in it to some degree and I always really have liked it. Um, so I use an ozonator. Um, I use one from, I believe the company is Aronizer um, and I like that a lot. Um, that said, I want to kind of add something to this conversation, which is when I'm out in places with really good air, and you mentioned the ocean, that's one place. Another place would be when I'm out in good, healthy forests, when I'm up in the mountains. Any of those places, I tend to think about, it's like being at the spring, but for air. <laughs> so I think about, you know, air is a fluid. It is actually scientifically categorized as a fluid. Um, and the source of the really good atmospheric fluid is when we're in these places of high ionization. And so I just recommend for people who are listening, whenever you can, if you're in a situation like Luke's describing where the air is just always going to be kind of a compromise, really suck it up, so to speak, when you get the opportunity and you're at a place where there's really good air. Fill yourself with it, nourish yourself with it, and take as much of it in as you can because uh, we don't always get that opportunity. Thoughts, Luke? Oh, I love that idea. Yeah. And it's funny, I've never contextualized it that way, but um, like there's a hot springs that I go to up in Ojai, which is about an hour and a half outside of LA. 
and it's, you know, it's all surrounded by trees, and just the air up there is so clean, and I never thought about it in that way, but I actually am kind of going to forage air. Mm -hmm. It's like I'm very yeah. aware of the fact that I'm now getting real air. Yeah. And even when I was a kid growing up in um, the Bay Area in Northern California, when I would uh, fly to Colorado, my dad lived near Aspen, and so I'd fly into Aspen. And this is, you know, on small planes, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't connect to the terminal. You would just come down one of those little ladders. And I remember even being a kid and just walking out of the plane and just going... And just yep. taking a huge <laughs> deep breath. And I was like, God, what is this stuff? Oh, that's real air, you know? Yeah, so there is I something love, to be said. I, I like that of consciously, you know, making a decision to kind of relish in that and enjoy that and take some of that, that true natural air in. That kind of high altitude cold air, especially. Wow, I love it. So I have a question for you, which is how are you <clears throat> getting sun exposure aside from, of course, your arms and your face, living in such a densely populated city, are you ever able to get the sort of naked sun time I've been talking so much about this summer? And if so, how are you pulling that off? And do you know, and here's more parts of the question, what about friends of yours too? Are, are, are people getting enough sun in LA, even though they're in all that sun, are they getting enough sun? So it's funny talking about getting naked sun time living in a rural area, which is, it's a challenge to be honest, you know, but at this point I think I have, you know, my whole little core group of friends, which are mostly guys, totally indoctrinated into this idea that sun is really good for you and, and natural and something that human beings are meant to get. And uh, it reminds me, <laughs> you know, the first time I kind of pulled this move around some of my friends because I I've kind of been doing this forever. I love going to hot springs and just being in nature. I'm just like, I'm a hippie dude. I love running around in nature naked. Just shoot me. You know, it's just my thing. So I go over to my buddy James's house, and he's a British guy. And, you know, British people are known to be a little bit more conservative, generally speaking, than someone like myself raised in the woods in California. So I go to James's. He invites me over to go swimming. He just got this new house with the pool. He's super excited. And I just walk in the gate and take off all my clothes and jump in the pool. And he's like, yo, mate, mate, what, what, what are you doing? You know, and I had to kind of explain to him that this is actually normal, you know, to be, to be ashamed of your body or to feel like, you know, to question your own sexuality because you're naked around people. There's this whole neurosis that we've developed around our bodies and just, you know, our ability to be free and not be self-conscious. And it's just... It's just so weird to me that people have such a hard time with that. Yeah, it's like our nakedness is, gets – it literally gets taken from us. What age do you think? Like when, once we start – once we're like toddlers, you're given clothes and it's like you're expected to wear them for the rest of your life except when you make love or take a shower. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, and I, I could see the reason for it, right? We, you know, we migrate into colder areas. You, you actually need the cover, you know, for survival. And there's also impulses that your hormones start to create that, that need to be controlled in society, I, I guess. I assume there are some men perhaps that aren't evolved enough to, you know, not see breasts and try to go grab them or do something inappropriate. Yeah, you know? mostly because so, mostly they've never been around naked people. But Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly, yeah. It's because it's that taboo, absolutely. So... Yeah, I mean, I remember being a little kid and it was cool up until a certain point to run around naked in the yard and, you know, wherever, just outdoors, you're just naked. And then, you know, it's like, oh, Luke, you probably shouldn't do that anymore. And that was the end of that for some time. But anyway, now all my buddies are kind of used to it and they, they're realizing it just feels so good. And you actually get such a high from that sun exposure and just your body starts making all this vitamin D and you just, you feel high. There's a reason why 
you feel good on vacation. I don't think people make that connection because most of the time you're in the sun. Right. And it's like, why is going to the pool or going to the beach so amazing? It's like, big deal. You're sitting next to a body of water. Well, it's because usually you're half naked. <laughs> so so uh, to, to, to answer your question, for my own self, I've been so spoiled the last four years I lived in this. Well, you came to the house, um, living in this house in the Hollywood Hills, and you know, I had this little rock star moment there for a minute, living in this great house, which had an immense amount of private property that was out of view of any of the neighbors, I guess unless they had binoculars. God bless them if they did. <laughs> but it was my daily ritual every day, and I would just sit out in my little you know, wing chair outside and do my meditation for 20 minutes bone ass naked you know and it's just such a good feeling it's just amazing and this is like direct direct just hot sun and i got really in the habit of that and got used to that so when i moved a couple months ago into an apartment it was one of my main concerns actually it was like one of my non-negotiables that i ended up having to cave on so I had about 10 things that I really didn't, yeah, criteria. you know, yeah, I really did. And, and having a private place where I could be naked in the sun was one of them. And, you know, I had to choose like central air and a, a, you know, a private garage to park my car and some of the other things that were necessary for me. And I had to forego the, um, you know, the ability to be naked in the sun. I really don't have a yard here. So now what I do is I kind of hit up my friend James, say, hey, you know, can I go get naked in your yard? And I'll hit him up and go over there from time to time. And now everyone's kind of used to it and they uh, realize. You know, I never thought of that as a strategy. I've been saying to people like, hey, you know, find a, like often what I used to do is I'd find a spot in the woods that I knew was clear. No one was going to be there. And I'd go like lounge lizard on a rock kind of. I didn't ever really think about it. But yeah, where you live, of course, some people have gated in areas and you can go and be naked there. That's a great idea. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, here we have two great hot springs. We have the hot springs in Ojai, which recently just opened up back to the public. It was closed down for a long time. And that's clothing optional, which means no clothing for me. And, <laughs> and there's another one called Deep Creek, which is a bit a ways out. But I mean, everyone's pretty much naked uh, there. And I it's, love that spring so much. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's just it's it's amazing and it's freeing. It, it's funny, though, when you, you know, when you're getting used to it, because it's like if everyone's naked and you show up in your board shorts, you feel super, I mean, for myself, I would feel super self-conscious. But at the same time, I've had situations where like I roll up and I'm running around naked and I'm the only one. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's like a bunch of girls in bathing suits. I mean, you know, it's definitely an ego rectifier, you know, just to be <laughs> free and, and lose that self-consciousness and worry about what other people think and just live my life and, and you know, feel contented and happy. But it's um, it's challenging, and you know, in that way, sometimes for a lot of people, especially when they're first kind of getting used to the idea of just being natural. I often remind guys that your testosterone levels goes go up when you're naked in the sun and you get naked sun exposure, particularly uh, on your back and on your testicles. And I just think like that's a good sell. So I'll use that with guys. Often. Yeah, I've done that too. I probably heard that from you. That was actually one of my main selling points for the homies. I was like, dude, I mean, you don't want to be estrogen dominant, do you? Right. you know, like, okay. Okay. Where do I sign? You know, man, they're, man they're, up, they're, get naked. Yeah. yeah it's also totally. something about being um, naked in the presence of other people that I think is really eventually really stilling to the mind because there is that neurosis you were talking about and there's this underlying fear. It's like, let's face it. Every person knows that under their clothes, they're naked everybody's got body image issues even hot models they have, probably have some of the worst ones oh dude let let me tell you on that note i mean working with 
celebrities in the way that I have, particularly in my role, which is to dress them, means that they get undressed and naked around you or not. And the most beautiful people in the world, men and women, in my experience of 15 years of working with them, the more beautiful they are, the more insecure they are. Yep. Right. I mean, thank you. And so here we are walking around with all these insecurities. And when I remember just the first time I even con considered getting naked in a group, I mean, for the hours that it took to get to this location, this nude beach I was going to, that's all I could think about. I was so afraid, you know, so afraid of it. Anyway, now, I don't know. It's just, it's very stilling to the mind because you get naked with other people. You go through your little 10 minutes of, oh, this is weird. Oh my gosh. And then you realize no one cares. No one's looking at you. It's not a big deal. You get over it super fast. You realize it's not some kind of prelude to an orgy or whatever, something like sexual. It's just being. And then it's like, ah, oh, that part of the mind can finally rest that spent the last however many years of your life panicking about it. So I think in addition to getting the sun exposure, and I think there's something to be said for getting airflow on your naked body too, especially like in our groin and in our armpits where we're often um, trapping a lot of stagnant air and moisture. It's really nice to get that airflow on the skin too. So there's all these benefits to getting undressed, mental benefits, program, social programming benefits. But of course, the sun exposure is really huge. Let's shift gears and go into um, movement a little bit. So that's the end of today's episode, but it's not the end of the episode. So tune back in next Tuesday for the second installment of this conversation with Luke Story. Hey, I appreciate you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this show, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and leave a rating and review. As always, the resources and links from this episode are available at danielvitalis.com. And if you have any feedback for us or suggestions for future episodes, please message us there. Show you.